Hey now, we are getting over, and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, Dada, with another special edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, not only today is the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast breaking down everything that happened Tuesday night on the latest edition of NXT, covering all the fallout from TakeOver in your house. We are also welcoming in a special guest to today's show, none other than the almighty WWE champion, Bobby Lashley, who will sit down with the Silver King one-on-one for the first time. So we have an absolutely jam-packed show ahead for you today as we are still on that road to WWE Hell in a Cell airing this Sunday on Peacock and the WWE Network internationally. We discussed that pay-per-view earlier this week with our WWE Hell in a Cell Ultimate Preview. So if you're listening to this feed, just go back one episode. You'll be able to listen to that. We spend a lot of time going over everything that happens on SmackDown and Raw over the last week. And we previewed every single match on the card, giving predictions for what we expect to happen. So don't forget, again, to listen to that ultimate preview for Hell in a Cell. But today we are moving on. We're focusing on NXT and the one-on-one with Bobby Lashley. The show is going to start with our NXT breakdown. We will move to the Bobby Lashley interview before we get out of here. If you are listening today for one or the other, go ahead, check the description of this episode in whatever platform you use. There will be timestamps for NXT and Bobby Lashley, so you can jump around. Or if you only have time to listen to one today and another one tomorrow, you can just go back and forth at your own leisure. So with that, we need to take care of a little business before we get into today's show, because on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast, we are about one thing. It's all about the five. And we don't just want you to be all about the five. We want you to do something else as well. Stop being marks for yourselves and... Go back to being a mark for me. Go back to being marks for the Silver King for the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. Head on over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us, please, a five-star rating with a review to let people know how much you love this show. Also, do not forget to head on over to Twitter and give us a follow, if you would be so kind, at Getting Overcast. Not only do we tweet about the four major shows live each week, not only do we have pre- and post-show polls surrounding pay-per-views, but we also will bring you on Sunday around 6.30 p.m. Eastern, a live go-home show on Twitter Spaces for WWE Hell in a Cell. And the best way to know about that, to follow us and to listen to it, is to follow us at Getting Overcast. And when we send a tweet later this week where you can set a reminder for the show, make sure you do that. You'll get an alert on your phone when that show begins. So with all of that business Out of the way, let's get into talking about this week's NXT, which I have to say was not only one of maybe the top five NXT TV show episodes we've gotten so far in 2021, but one of the best wrestling television episodes of the entire year to this point. NXT deserves a ton of credit coming out of a pay-per-view and leading into a show of that caliber. It just shows the true depth of this brand. So we're going to break down the entire show. And then as promised after that, we you will hear my one-on-one interview with Bobby Lashley. But the big news on Tuesday was William Regal's announcement about the future of NXT. 
Regal opened the show. He walked to the ring and he was literally crying inside the squared circle as he recounted his tenure in NXT, saying every moment he didn't spend with his family over the last seven years or so was spent making NXT great. He said he can't give the fans what they deserve anymore, but got cut off by NXT champion Karrion Cross, who shit on Regal for crying and called him pathetic. Cross said he will bring chaos and violence to NXT, and Regal knew when Cross won at TakeOver that Regal had lost full control of NXT forever. Then he demanded Regal resign for good. Suddenly, out of nowhere, Samoa Joe's music hit. Regal said he wanted Joe to be the new GM. Joe said absolutely not. Putting over Regal's leadership in making NXT a phenomenon over all of these years and saying what Joe would prefer to do is be by Regal's side and ensure that he gets the respect and order that he deserves. Regal agreed to remain as GM, but said if Joe wanted that role, he basically had to agree to be an enforcer. He could not fight. He could not be an active wrestler and he could only hit people if he was provoked. Joe agreed and basically stared down Cross, who slowly left the ring. I thought this was a fantastic piece of booking. First, Regal's legitimate emotion sold the entire thing as a resignation or maybe even a retirement. He played it perfectly. Cross then gets a chance to turn back from this weird badass tweener role that he was kind of playing back into a total heel, which is what he needs to be. Because look, if he's going to get booed one way or another, he might as well be a total heel when he's getting booed. Cross came off like a total asshole, which is exactly you know, what his character should be. And then you have Samoa F. Joe back in NXT, serving a great role with what seems like the possibility down the line for a return to action. Plus, it's a fun twist that the guy who spent years terrorizing NXT and demanded to Regal's face better security is now the one having Regal's back as the head of security all these years later. You gotta love shit like that. Inside of the first 30 minutes of the show, Joe broke up a backstage brawl between Kyle O'Reilly and Adam Cole. He was pushed by Cole and immediately just put him in the coquina clutch. So it's interesting, given his lack of prior medical clearance that didn't allow him to return to Raw, that Joe's already getting physically involved. Of course, doing what he did is far different from wrestling, but it's still activity. And that was pretty interesting to see. On that note, Regal said that both O'Reilly and Cole would have to fight in matches against opponents of their choice next week. And he also set Cole versus O'Reilly in a sanctioned match at Great American Bash. So these guys fought in an unsanctioned match to set up a regular sanctioned match. That is a bit of weak booking for me. And again, I don't know how many times I need to say it. The match that we should be getting is Adam Cole versus Kyle O'Reilly. Loser leaves NXT. Now, if they add that stipulation to Great American Bash, that's great. Maybe they don't, and they end up having a third fight in a trilogy, SummerSlam weekend at a takeover, and maybe they give you that stipulation there. That would make a lot of sense. But right now, just having these guys fight again, despite knowing it's going to be a great match and a really strong potential main event for a TV special, Great American Bash on July 6th, it still leaves a little bit something to be desired. Now, the storyline did continue a little bit here. Uh, We had a Cruiserweight Championship Open Challenge match where Kushida ended up defending against Trey Baxter, formerly known as Blake Christian on the Indies. He was making his NXT in-ring TV debut. 
Carmelo Hayes, don't forget, was in the same spot two weeks ago. And they're also in the same WWE performance center class together. O'Reilly came out and watched the match from the ramp to scout. And I love the way that NXT did this without entrance music so that it didn't disturb the match just because someone was there watching, which is basically what you get every single time on Raw. In fact, on Raw, this past week, one person interfered, uh, or their music hit, I should say, 10 seconds into a match, and another person like two or three minutes into a match. It was It's so trite. They do it so many times. For O'Reilly to just kind of like wander out there and watch, I thought was really cool. Baxter hit a standing Spanish fly and a springboard 450 for a near fall. Kushida soon caught him with the hoverboard lock for the win. This didn't really stand up to the match that he had with Carmelo Hayes a couple weeks ago, but it was a nice debut for Baxter. O'Reilly then respectfully challenged Kushida next week off mic. Kushida accepted, and this is pretty cool because it's a renewal of a rivalry they had back in New Japan Pro Wrestling, and they also had a great Best of Super Juniors match a few years ago that you guys should actively seek out. Just Google uh, Kushida, Kyle O'Reilly, Super Juniors, and you'll probably find the match. It's great, total must-watch. There was later in the show a botch where they tried to interview Regal and Joe walking out of the arena, but the camera like immediately cut off and they went to a different segment. And I'm guessing that it was a pre-taped thing that was supposed to air at the end of the show and they just aired it at the wrong time. They later did an interview together in Regal's office. I think it was completely improv. Johnny Gargano interrupted chanting Joe, saying he was needed in NXT because Regal had lost total control before Joe scared him and Austin Theory off. And then Pete Dunne came in and just stared Joe down. I don't really know to what end that would be successful when this guy is unable to compete. Uh, Then they did a parking lot interview at the end of the show, but it was completely different from the one that I think was pre-taped. And again, I believe it was done in a completely improv fashion because kind of nothing happened or nothing was really even said during that segment. It was a little bit messy, but NXT did a good job otherwise throughout the entire episode, showing the impact Joe was making as an enforcer in his very first night by Regal's side. So that's really the main storyline coming from the show. Let's break down everything else from NXT. We had Imperium against Brizongo in a tag team match. Tyler Breeze got the hot tag and almost immediately caught Fabian Eichner with an inside cradle for the win. Imperium destroyed him right after the bell and laid their flag over his body. As I've said over the last two weeks, neither of these teams do much for me. I'm far more interested in what Walter's response is going to be to the loss than I was about watching even a minute of that tag team match. I'm not saying these guys aren't good workers. They are. But individually, I don't care about the teams. And then together, I certainly didn't really care about the match. We had Santos Escobar telling Bronson Reed in a tape promo that he's coming for him one-on-one for the North American title. I don't really have anything to add here, but I definitely did expect this to happen. The question now is what happens to the tag team on Legado del Fantasma? Because they've basically lost two different tag team title matches to MSK. Frankie Monet and Presley, her dog, announced that she would give an encore performance in the ring next week. She then told Aaliyah and Jesse Camia that they shouldn't listen to Robert Stone, then only to tell Stone to his face that he's doing a great job. I think Monet as the shit stirrer backstage where she gets involved in everyone's business, puts her nose into everyone's business, even though she has absolutely no reason to be involved, is pretty cool. I just kind of wonder what the climax of that's going to be. Like she did it with Io Shirai previously. She's done it with others. Someone's going to have to call her on that. Who's it going to be and what exactly is that feud going to look like? Mercedes Martinez cut a tape promo saying she felt the wrath of Tian Shaw at TakeOver. She challenged Zia Lee to break their one-on-one tie at some point in the future and promised to knock Mei Ying out of her chair the next time that she saw her. 
It feels like all of them should really just move on here, but as long as this stays off of takeovers and special events, it's fine as a part of NXT. There was a million dollar championship coronation. LA Knight pulled up in a Corvette with a cigar in his mouth. Knight was about to do his shtick when he stopped, got serious, and put over the million dollar man, Ted DiBiase, to his face as a legend and his childhood hero. They shook hands. Knight said it was the greatest moment of his career, and he officially asked Knight to award him the title. They did the laugh together. Pyro went off a second time. Knight said he now has everything he's ever wanted so he can drop what he doesn't need. And he sucker punched Ted DiBiase. Then he stomped on him a bunch of times until Cameron Grimes ran out to make the save and clear the ring. Knight got a lot of heat from his attack. Fans were booing him louder than they did anyone at any point during TakeOver on Sunday. And they also loudly chanted to the moon for Grimes after he came in and made the save. So it looks like this feud is continuing, I presume, with the title, the Million Dollar Championship, being on the line at Great American Bash in a few weeks, maybe with DiBiase in Grimes' corner, or perhaps even coaching him. That would be really nice to have Grimes adapt some of DiBiase's moves. Maybe he starts using the Million Dollar Dream as a submission finisher, for example. That would be pretty cool. By the way, this was easily LA Knight's best moment in NXT so far. And the last two weeks, when you combine the video package they did at the mansion to what happened in the ring to the ladder match for the championship, and then this segment, it has really helped this LA Knight character who was basically shit prior to the last couple of weeks. But I gotta say, he's starting to grow on me. Is he one of my favorites on NXT? Nowhere near that (laughs) right now. It's still not even close. Uh, I'm not choosing him to be an NXT champion or participate in any major feuds. But is this helping his character and gimmick? Absolutely. And the more that LA Knight gets away from trying to be an extremely poor man's version of The Rock and Stone Cold Steve Austin combined into one, and is actually just a total asshole character, the better off he's going to be. So as I said, huge step in the right direction. We got a women's tag team match, Raquel Gonzalez and Dakota Kai against Caden Carter and Casey Kent Nazaro. The heels said they were focused on the tag team titles in a backstage promo. And before the match, Samoa Joe held off Ember Moon and Shotzi Blackheart from attacking when the heels were on their way to the ring. The Casey's dominated early with a ton of double team moves. Caden got the hot tag with a great dropkick splash one woman combination. Casey broke a fall after Carter ate an assisted codebreaker. The faces then hit their elevated 450 splash on Kai, but Gonzalez broke the fall and put both of them into the hockey glass. And eventually, Dakota Kai caught Casey with a draping GTK for the win. The right team won, I guess, because Gonzalez is champion. But the Caseys were easily the MVPs of this match. And that is saying something when you're in the ring with Dakota Kai, who's an incredible wrestler, and Raquel Gonzalez, who is one of the most improved wrestlers over the last year and the current champion. They looked great. The heels sold extremely well for them. I know I'm like a broken record here. I say it every time we talk about Casey and Caden, but they should be a main roster tag team yesterday. Even if they're used as enhancement talent just to start, they're both exciting. They have actual tag team chemistry and a ton of double team moves that other women's teams just don't have. Other women's teams, it's like they force themselves to come up with one or two tag team moves. Here, they have probably a dozen in their repertoire that can be used in matches. Plus, let's be honest, 
Casey Catanzaro is a celebrity name, like the most popular American Ninja Warrior player ever. Being able to promote her on WWE television on an NBC-owned channel like USA Network would be big. I'm not saying it's gonna add a million viewers to the program, but it's gonna bring attention to the main roster. So I, I think they're great if they wanna get more heavily involved in the NXT women's tag team division and maybe win the titles there. That's cool too. I'm now of the mindset that having, and I've been of the mindset since they were introduced, having two sets of women's tag team championships is absolutely ridiculous. Um, the ideas for them initially where they were gonna float between all three brands was great. The problem was they never really floated down to NXT, except for like the one time Sasha and Bailey were champions and they realized, oh, we get an opportunity to go to NXT and they kind of probably, I'm guessing, forced everyone's hands to make that happen. So I just want them on the main roster. Like there's enough women in NXT to support that division. There are not enough women on the main roster to support a women's tag team title right now, especially considering two teams were just recently broken up by cuts and one before them was fired on its own. So WWE lost three women's tag teams in a matter of like a month out of the five they had in their division. So there's every reason to bring them up. And I also just want to say Caden on her own, Casey improved, no question. Caden on her own has improved massively from where she was two years ago. So she deserves a lot of credit. They as a team deserve a lot of credit. And Raquel Gonzalez and Dakota Kai deserve a lot of credit because they sold their asses off for them. So all in all, this was a very good match. I didn't grade it or anything like that, but it was entertaining from start to finish. And, you know, I it would have been the best match of the show if not for the main event, because the main event was absolutely killer. Uh, Ever Rise backstage showed a video of Hit Row attacking their TakeOver pre-show set. And they cut a promo saying they better be ready basically for retribution. These guys have slowly won me over as a fan over the last two months. I'm really excited to see them get a push. And I love their gimmick with the chewing gum and coffee and you want to take a swing at me. It's just, it, the entire thing works. It's really good wrestling comedy. Uh, Io Shirai and Candice LeRae had a confrontation. Shirai was in the ring proclaiming that she's back when LeRae interrupted to grab her attention and Indy Hartwell attacked her from behind. Shirai hit the 619 on Hartwell, but Indy booted her and the champions double teamed her. Zoe Stark eventually made the save and Shirai hit a double springboard missile dropkick to clear the ring. It sure seems like they're going to team up Shirai and Stark. It's massive, by the way, for Zoe Stark to continue getting the rubs that she's getting. She has been pushed so strong since her debut. And now she gets to team up with arguably the best women's wrestler in the entire world. It's great stuff top to bottom. I love the idea of them teaming up and just creating another set of challengers for uh, the way. And just the ability to have a little bit of Shirai rub off on Stark is just a great idea. So everything about this was fantastic. And there's a couple other things to mention, but we will move to the main event, which was the Grizzled Young Veterans against Tommaso Ciampa and Timothy Thatcher in a Tornado tag team match. Man, talk about a banger. Talk about strong style. These guys beat the shit out of each other. The faces ran the ropes for about a dozen forearms and clotheslines. Champa hit an avalanche air raid crash and GYV answered with a tope doomsday device outside on Champa and then an elevated backstabber on Thatcher. Inside, Champa hit another air raid crash on Zach Gibson onto the announce table and then hit the fairy tale ending back in the ring on James Drake. The faces combined for an ankle lock and crowbar double submission to get the win. I definitely thought GYV was going to win here and challenge MSK, 
but I suppose they're going to hold that off for the next takeover. This was an absolute banger, as I said at the start. Two teams I could legitimately watch fight forever. Like these guys were just pounding each other. Hey now, no pun intended when I said that. Uh, but it was great. Really hardcore action. Also, no pun intended. Uh, <laughs> I guess, I guess, hey, it's wrestling. We're talking about wrestling. Uh, this this is always going to uh, cycle through. But uh, Champ and Thatcher are pretty great as a tag team. GYV, we know, are great as a tag team. But Champ and Thatcher together has really made Thatcher work in NXT when it kind of looked like he might otherwise be directionless. They work extremely well together. The match worked extremely well. I'm going to go with 3.75 stars and a B plus, totally deserving of a high grade. This was entertaining as hell and a, and a very worthy main event for NXT as well. It's also pretty interesting that NXT had four matches on the show, three tag team matches and one singles match. You would never, ever see that on Raw or SmackDown. So I thought that was pretty interesting. There was a short video that aired during the show of a battery going from dead to 1%, it then went up to 11%, and later hit 21%. The only, I mean, there's maybe two people I can think of that would fit this because it's clearly a tease for someone returning. That's what makes the most sense. So the number one person is Tegan Knox, who's been out of action nine months with another torn ACL. You would assume that's, pro- unless it's a, it was completely torn off. Nine months is about the time period where someone would be able to work their way back from that. And despite the fact that she's had numerous knee issues and numerous knee surgeries over the year, I think her being able to come back from that in nine months, 10 months, makes a lot of sense. Another option is Ridge Holland. But if my memory serves, his injuries were so significant that they were talking a year plus, 12 to 15 months for him to get back. So I don't really know that he would fit here, and nor do I think that a battery charging up is really the right way to bring back Ridge Holland. So I'm going to guess Tegan Ox, but I just don't know. And I love the mystery. Anytime any wrestling company gives you a little bit of mystery when someone's debuting or returning, it's always a good thing. And I appreciate them doing it that way. Now, if you do the math based on the charging, uh, it could, it's, the assumption should be that it hits 50, 51% next week. And then I guess you would think it would do another 20 to 25% the week after, and then 20 to 25% the week after that, which tells me the person's on track to debut or return at Great American Bash in a few weeks. Maybe it'll be the week after that. Depends how they do the percentages, but it seems like that's what it's working up to. And then lastly, the Diamond Mine vignette aired again, but this time there's an official start date saying it will open next week. Now we could speculate about this, right? Is it a separate show? Is it an MMA-like faction? Is it a part of NXT? Is it something completely different? Whatever. NXT has done a fantastic job keeping this a total secret. There's nothing that's leaked on dirt sheets that I've seen. It's just no one knows what Diamond Mine is going to be. So I'm excited to tune in next week and be completely surprised. I'm going to try not to read anything or see anything. I just want them to shock me or maybe not shock me, but at least surprise me with whatever this is going to be. And then from there, I'll judge whether we like it or not, just like we do with anything else. But as I said, this was a fantastic edition of NXT top five episode of the year, which made it one of the best wrestling TV shows of the year. The crowd was a massive step up from TakeOver. 
Now you try explaining that because I can't. I don't know how you get ramped up for a Tuesday evening NXT show where, you know, there's no major, despite there being good matches on the show, it was very storyline driven versus a five match takeover card that you should be going into hoping that it's a banger. Did it disappoint takeover? It did, but that didn't really explain the crowd not reacting in some really great spots. So this NXT TV show was very good. The crowd, I felt the energy. NXT did a fantastic job setting the stage for a number of storylines that will happen moving forward. We're getting the conclusion of a tease with Diamond Mine and the start of a new one with the battery thing. I mentioned the three tag team matches versus one singles match. That was pretty unique. And of course, the Regal, Cross, and Samoa Joe segment. It was probably one of WWE's best overall segments this entire year. So from top to bottom, a really strong addition of NXT. Now with all of that out of the way, allow me to welcome in the almighty WWE champion, Bobby Lashley, on the other side of this. Thrilled to welcome the WWE, excuse me, the almighty WWE champion, Bobby Lashley, to the show for the first time. He will defend that WWE championship against Drew McIntyre inside Hell in a Cell on Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern on Peacock in the United States and WWE Network internationally at the appropriately named Hell in a Cell pay-per-view. Bobby, you've been battling Drew for years now across multiple (laughs) companies. Uh, Your matches in WWE so far since both of you have returned have been fantastic. What is it about him as an opponent that brings out the best in you? Is it the fact that he can match up with you somewhat, maybe a little bit more than most from a size and strength perspective where a few others can. Yeah, man, it's, it's, it's a bunch of different things. Well, I think because I was talking about this earlier and when he and I used to be tag team partners, when we were going there, when we would tag each other, it was, it was a certain level of energy that we brought to it. Like he brought to it, I brought to it. And uh, we just have that. We have the same intensity when it goes to things. And then, and then another thing is that when I go out with Drew, it's, 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 it's one of those things where when you see different matchups, Drew is like that, you know, the Scottish warrior, the psychopath, the guy that's willing to do whatever it takes. And then you got me, the supreme athlete going at it. It's, it's a very interesting matchup between the two. And he's a big, strong guy. So we kind of, we kind of pair up together almost at each one of those levels, almost identically. So it's, 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 it's a fight. It could go either way, but um, the fight is very intense. Yeah, I think that's a good point. There's so many matches in WWE where you see the disparity in size and strength. When you guys go at each other, it's like, well, this could happen in a bar. You know, this could happen at a sporting yeah. event. Uh, so it's happening yeah. in the WWE ring. I think that's so cool. Now, Hell in a Cell. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. Now, Hell in a Cell is the final WWE pay-per-view, we hope at least, Inside the Thunderdome, you got a little bit of a taste of what it's like to be in front of a live crowd again at WrestleMania. But man, how much are you looking forward to getting back out there? Not just touring the big 25 city tour, but SummerSlam this year in Las Vegas, in the, in the uh, I almost said Oakland Raiders, the Las Vegas Raiders Stadium. And what should be the largest WWE crowd in nearly two and a half years? Dang. That's exciting just hearing about it. <laughs> you know how it is, man. Um, it, our business is, is all about the fans. It's all about the crowd. I mean, as much as we want to tell them to shut up, we, we love them and, and we need them because that's the reason why we do what we do. 
And so I can't wait. I can't wait. I can't wait to go into live events. I can't wait for SummerSlam. I can't wait for it all because that's that's what we do and, and, and the level of energy that we can put into it because of the crowd, it's just gonna go up a couple notches. Um, because they're there and they're and we can feel them, we can hear them. Um, so that's that's what it is. The more exciting the crowd gets, the more excited and more we put out in the matches. So we're gonna have some of the greatest matches once that happens. So it's just gonna be a good time for everyone. On that note, I mean, winning the WWE Championship is obviously something that was, I assume, a career goal in terms of you as a professional wrestler. Obviously, you've done many other things in your career, including MMA, but you got to enter WrestleMania as champion and you got to walk out of WrestleMania as champion, basically winning a match, of course, at WrestleMania. What what what, did it feel, what does it feel like to not just be the WWE Champion, but be it on a stage like WrestleMania and during such an important time for WWE? coming out of the pandemic, bringing fans back, they're relying on you to be that champion right now. I'm ready, man. I've done it so long. I've done it so long and I've put in the work, man. I always say it. I post it all the time. The harder I work, the luckier I get. And that's how it's been for me. And I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit older. I put some years into the business, man, but I've given it all. And I've done it for a long time. And I think that, that it, was, it was my time. And it's one of those times where, you know, when they say, Last shot of the game is two seconds left. You pass it. Do you take the pass? Do you, or, or do you want to pass it off to somebody else? I want the ball. I want the ball in a sense like this. So it was a very important time for us. Man. And I, I, I look at every TV during the pandemic. I was flying from Denver every week, going over there and putting on shows. And that's what we have to do. And I take my hat off to every one of the guys that are on the roster because we all, we all stepped up in that time. You know, a lot of crazy stuff was going on, and we just all stepped up, and we, and we did it for the fans. The fans weren't there, but they were able to go to the Thunderdome, log in, or watch it on TV. So we kept we kept the dream alive. We kept the business going, and I'm I'm, I'm excited about that. And I take my hat off to the rest of the roster for doing it. But um, for me, having an opportunity to do this, man, it's just a dream come true. And this whole year has been just great, just keeping that title and running with it and putting on these matches and, and just everything right now. It's, it's a perfect timing for me. This is a question I've asked Drew before, but since you brought up, you know, being champion and the fans and all that, usually when you, you know, win a championship and, and certainly you defended it at WrestleMania, so you got a little bit of a response there. But usually when you're winning a championship and carrying the title, uh, you feel the you, you get to have an understanding of what the crowd thinks about you. Right. And not just cheering or booing, but whether they're happy you're in that position, whether they respect that you're there as their champion. What interests me is. A lot of this is happening for you without any fan response. Do you feel the appreciation and, and love of the WWE fans, whether it's through social media or through anything else? Do you feel like you've been able to experience it, even if it's in a different way? Yeah, yes, yes. Because when I first got it, it's kind of one of those things where you kind of like, uh, you kind of like peek around the corner to see how the response is. And right. the one thing that a lot of people have said, and, and even some of the people that weren't Bobby Lashley fans before, they were like, man, well, yeah, he does deserve it. And that's one <laughs> thing. And, and and a lot of people were like, you know, he busts his ass. He had some great matches with a lot of people. He's always been there. And um, and he's that tough. So, of course, in this time, it's good to see a champion that not only um, deserves it, but it's the description of being a champion also. Uh, it's a lot of different things for me, but ultimately it's just, it's good to have it. And I know that I deserved it. 
and a lot of people have told me and the fans have hit me up in a whole bunch of different areas and let me know that they were happy that I was a champion. That's a good point also. When you, when you say the term heavyweight champion, Bobby Lashley is a heavyweight champion. That fits the description. You're 100% right. Now, you've been back in WWE for three years. Now, one thing that fans have always wanted to know about, and I know that you're not going to discuss it because you never have, is your exit in 2008. What I'm wondering is, what led you back to WWE in 2018? Were there fences that needed to be mended? And do you feel like the WWE that you're experiencing now from 2018 to 2021 is different than the one that you left back in 2008? I think it is different, but um, I like, for me, it was unfinished business. You know, when I first came in, I had a lot of big matchups and I, and I, got, I did a lot of big things in a short amount of time. And I, I love the business. I love wrestling. And I think for me, just when I left, I did a lot of things that I didn't have an opportunity to do beforehand. So I, I did some indie shows. I did a lot of indie shows. Um, I traveled around. I went to Japan. I went to Mexico. I did some of the shows that everybody had talked about. And I enjoyed doing it. And I felt I, I was always in love with it. Now, and, and I always knew that I would be back. But I did kind of feed my urges that I had to fight still. I mean, because before I, I, I wrestled, if you, if you know my, my story, mm-hmm. My wrestling career got cut really short by the bank robbery that I was in. So I still have some of that stuff that I wanted to fulfill. And I think I got that with the fighting. So when I was gone, I had an opportunity to fight a little bit. But at the end of the day, I knew I wanted to end my athletic career with the WWE because it was so important to me. You know, wrestling was my life. I wrestled forever. And then I'm um, having an opportunity to go into WWE and take it to a different level and a different genre. I, I knew that I wanted to come back in. And in there. So I never had that time when I was gone that I said, oh, well, you know, that chapter's closed. No, I always knew that I was going to be back. And if I was going to come back, of course, I was going to go for it all. Yeah. And you've certainly achieved that at this point. I think it's fair to say, though, that you had some successes over those first couple of years back, but there was a lot of up and down. And, and people know the storylines and things <laughs> that happened that we're talking about. We don't need to go over them. I'm sure you've yeah. talked about them plenty of times. I don't mind. <laughs> no, no, it's fine. <laughs> but what I'm curious about yeah. is, Forming the Hurt Business did such a great job elevating not just you, but Shelton Benjamin, Cedric Alexander, and really just all four of you as a faction. I, I've been wondering since the start of that, how big of a role did MVP play in making that happen? Because I know he was doing sporadic appearances. He eventually got hired as a producer. Then he transitioned a little bit. So how big of a role did he play in making not, not just the Hurt Business happen, but grow and exist to the level that it did. And I'm wondering also if you feel his presence backstage when it comes to helping other talents as well. Yes. I mean, he definitely helped out a lot. Um, it was an idea that I had before, oh, okay. um, of a character that I had before. Um, so I kind of brought it to him and I was like, the character that I would love to do is not me, it's you. And 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 then we just started, and then I talked to him about it and then we came together. Me and I were friends forever, so Right. Um, it was something that I was like, man, this would be really cool for him to do. But then that that character alone turned into something bigger because we were like, maybe it's maybe it's bigger than a character. And then yeah, we started brainstorming and putting it together. So yes, I think he is a very intricate piece of that of the hurt business because he's 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 the he's, he's the motivator. He's the one that um, keeps everything together, and he's the one that uh, makes makes the, the, the business transactions. So. Um, it's 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 just perfect. It was just perfect energy, and I think that it was important for everyone because sometimes you need somebody. Here goes 
It's a saying that I used to like to hear. Sometimes you have to believe in somebody else's belief in you. Right. And we needed somebody that had belief in all of us, and that was MVP. You know, he knows how good Sheldon is. He knows how good Cedric is, and he knows how good I am. And we neither, none of us reached our potential. But then once we got together, then our potential started kind of being able to be expressed a little bit and defended a little bit. And then we started getting to where we needed to get. And the right door started opening. So it was all it was all perfect the way that it went together. And I think that's why people really enjoyed it so much. I think you're seeing it now, too, because even though you guys have split up, which, you know, fans were not happy about that. But Cedric, for example, right. he was a guy who wasn't really doing much before. But now, even despite her business breaking up, you're seeing that he's getting the TV time now. They're investing in him. They're giving him opportunities that maybe wouldn't have happened if not for that jolt. Exactly. And sometimes that's all someone needs. They just need to be seen. They need to be seen in a different light. They need to be seen doing something different. We all need that. Because when I first came back, I was the same way. When I came back, I was Big baby face coming back. <laughs> I was there. I'm, I'm I was not, there at that run. Not a baby face. <laughs> yeah. I'm not a baby face. Not in this. Not in this generation. Not at all. Right. That's why I love being the character that I am because I'm not different. I haven't changed who I was from now until then. The, the crowd changed. So um, you got to show them something different. You got to be something different. You got to got to go against them or for them either. Or you gotta, but you have to stand up for whatever you believe in strong. But you have to be seen. And that was the biggest thing. So um, they were seen in a different light. People loved it. Yeah, absolutely did. Now I have two more questions and I'll let you get out of here. This is something I've wondered yeah. about since you started doing the Hurt Lock, right? Back in your first WWE run, you were the only guy to beat the Master Lock Challenge. So I know at the end of the day, it's just a move. It's a full Nelson. I get it. But did you ever make that connection where you broke the Master Lock Challenge, only got to do it. Now you're doing basically you know, the Hurt Lock and the Full Nelson, or is that just a pure coincidence? <laughs> you break it, you take it, right? Right, exactly. That's what yeah. I'm thinking. <laughs> there, was, there was some mention of it before, and um, and that, that's something that you got to kind of let the, the people that know, know. Um, but it was one of those things that, you know, after I after it happened, I did call Chris and talk with him. Yeah, but um, it's one of those things that, when 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 you have put, I think some of the some of the fans, the more hardcore fans, that know because that was quite a while ago. Yes, um, they kind of researched it and kind of brought it back to light, and they said, "Well, yeah, he is the only person that beat it, broke it." And I think Chris even posted something about it instead because I broke it. I mean, it belongs to me. He did something like that. So um, yeah, I like I like the connection between the two. It's not something that I would kind of shy away from. I I don't mind talking about it. No, yeah, no, it makes a ton of sense. And I'll get you out of here on this. You and I actually share the same birthday, which just so everyone knows, is July 16th, uh, coming up a month from today, by the way. So an easy yeah. question for you, I hope. I hope it's an easy question. What is the best birthday present that you ever received? Whoa. Oh, man, you hit me with R when I, that would take quite a while for me to really figure that one out. Um, <laughs> Or I'm, I'm, I'm the type of person. Good. I'm the type of person that really don't. I, I don't like. I I'm not a thing person, so I can't really think of things. I think I think the best present was. Um, I think it was maybe a few years back. I went to vacation with my kids at my birthday time. Okay. I, I like to tra I like to travel, so it's more of going somewhere and, and being 
being with the right people versus getting something. So I think it's probably just hanging out with my kids and going on vacation. Yeah, I think it's true. You know, when you're younger, it's the presence. When you're older, it's just like having time to go do something. And summer birthdays, I got to say, man, growing up, I hated it because uh, you couldn't really celebrate right. with your friends. They're all in camp and stuff like that. But now, as an adult, like summer birthday is pretty damn good. It's the best age. It's perfect. It is. Get out of school. Yeah. Get an opportunity to have a little more time. Yeah, it's, it's perfect. Yeah, it's the absolute best. Well, happy birthday to you and me. I'll say it to myself as well. One month likewise, likewise. from now. I appreciate it, man. Uh, but you can catch Bobby Lashley still not yet 45 years old, uh, this coming Sunday at WWE Hell in a Cell. He will defend the WWE Championship against Drew McIntyre inside that structure, 8 p.m. Eastern on Peacock in the United States and WWE Network internationally. And of course, we do have SummerSlam coming up in Las Vegas two months from now in August. Bobby, I appreciate you taking out the time. I know you have a long day of interviews to do. Thanks for joining us here at Getting Over. Always, man. Thanks again to Bobby Lashley for joining us here on Getting Over. Really interesting stuff from him, as one would expect. It's just great to talk to some of these guys who, you know, go through their careers with so many ups and downs, and they come out, it doesn't matter what age they are or station in life, where they come out on the other side at, you know, reaching the mountaintop moment in their career, at least from a professional wrestling standpoint. And it was cool to discuss all of that type of stuff with Lashley today. So that is today's show. I appreciate all of you listening. Uh, A reminder, if for some reason you did listen to this entire episode and you have not yet heard our WWE Hell in a Cell Ultimate Preview, just go back one show in our archives, in our podcast feed. Listen to that from this Tuesday. We break down every match on the card with predictions. And we also introduce a new segment here on Getting Over the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, where we break down everything else that happens each week on SmackDown and Raw. Also, do not forget, we will be back Sunday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern for a live Getting Over Go Home kickoff show for WWE Hell in a Cell that will be held on Twitter Spaces. All you need to do is follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. We will tweet a live link at 6.30 p.m., but you will also be able to set a reminder so you get an alert on your phone if it's iOS or Android using the official Twitter app on when to tune in. Uh, But of course, you can also access it on desktop or mobile web at twitter.com. And then Sunday night, as soon as Hell in a Cell is off the air, Getting Over will be back as always with WWE Hell in a Cell Instant Analysis, a full podcast delivered to your inboxes late Sunday night or first thing Monday morning. So you will be able to listen to our immediate takes on everything that happens on WWE's final pay-per-view inside the Thunderdome. Thank heavens that is almost over. Despite the Thunderdome being solid, let's get back to fans. We're almost back to normal. One month away, WWE Money in the Bank should be awesome. So with all of that, folks, we're almost done here. But you know, I can't let you out just yet. There's one more thing I need you to do. Stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Head on over to Apple Podcasts, drop a five-star rating and review. Let people know how much you love the show and help us get into the top 25 of wrestling podcasts in North America. That's it. The Silver King is going to say goodbye for today. With that, I will leave you with just three final words. Bye for now.